focus on uh, him coming. But people, at least even people who uh, normally don't think about him, actually this time of year sometimes they do think about him, and or and we can be thankful because I tell you when he showed up, that was the greatest event of the history of the world at that point. I mean, it was greater than creation. It was greater than the Exodus. It was greater than anything uh, for him to be here. One place said it was like people seeing light in a dark place. They, they had lived in darkness, and now light had come into the world. And so I'm thankful today that he did come. And there's a lot of great uh, lessons to learn from just the story of his arrival, his birth, and uh, it's more than just a one time of year kind of thing. It's a, there's a lot of life lessons to learn in the Savior coming to this world. But he came for a purpose. He said of himself, "To this end was I born." He knew he didn't just come. He did not come to create a holiday. Nothing wrong with the holiday. I'm not. <laughs> I said, but. He didn't come to create a holiday. I, I enjoy this time of year, and I enjoy worshiping the Lord anytime, but I'm thankful for him coming. But there was so much purpose in why he came and why he was here. And even his coming affected so many people. Him just showing up changed the lives immediately of people there in his presence. And so today uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of those things and uh, some things that will actually maybe examine the way we worship the Lord. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, just a few verses here. And then we're going to go uh, from Luke 2, verse 15 through 17. And then we're going to go to Matthew 2 and 11. And we're going to look at two groups of people that were immediately affected by the birth of the Lord. In Luke chapter 2 and 15, uh, it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made it known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. That was the shepherds that were watching their fields. And then in the book of Matthew, in chapter 2 and verse 11, another group of men, wise men from the east. It says, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. Now the shepherds saw the babe. But the wise men saw a child. That's a different, uh, there's a difference there, and we ought to, ought to recognize it. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit on this thought, worshiping with shepherds and wise men. Worshiping with shepherds and wise men. Let's just lay our Bibles down 
and just lift our hands for a minute. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our minds and hearts to just receive his word today. Lord, we love and appreciate you today. We thank you, God, for what you do. Lord, we just ask you today to bless our hearts to hear, Lord, what the Spirit would say. Let it encourage us, challenge us. Lord, make changes in us if it needs to so that we can be better, be better for your kingdom, be ready to meet you when you come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise before you're seated this morning. He's a great God. Thankful for him today. And thank you for being in the house of the Lord. God's good to us. So thankful for him today. And so you think about what a great night it must have been. Maybe a little fearful for the shepherds who were uh, Israelites. They were Jewish and had heard, no doubt, many times that a Savior was coming. But just on, in, on a regular night, watching their flocks and maybe eating their meals, talking to one another, maybe just gazing out into the night sky, when suddenly it lights up and there's an angel letting them know that there has been a Savior born, which is Christ the Lord. There's a statement that they make, let us now go. They left their flocks behind so they could go see this thing and worship uh, this thing that the Lord had told them about. And, and after that star, or he was born, there was a star that we read about that appeared, of course, in the heavens. And it settled over the home where Jesus lived. And then we find another group of men, wise men, uh, who... Uh, came also to worship uh, this child, this holy king that they, they had never seen or knew anything about, but they were going to leave and come and, and bring gifts to him to worship him. And the thing is, is that we don't even know how many wise men there were. The traditional thing is, well, there were three because they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it never says there were just three. Two people could have brought that, or 12 people could have brought that. We don't know the abundance of the gift. We don't know if it was a, you know, one piece of gold, one little. We have no much idea how much was brought to them. And there is no Bible that says there were three wise men. It's not there. It doesn't tell their names. It just says that wise men from the east came and found him. They found him because of the star. And despite what you see in all the paintings and all the nativity sets, they were not there at the manger. If you didn't know that, now you do. Remember, the shepherds came and they found the babe. Immediately they left after the announcement, went straight to Bethlehem. They found the babe lying in the manger. But when the wise men came, they came to their house. Mary and Joseph lived in a house, and the child was there, and probably two years old or a little older than two because when Herod knew when the wise men first got there, they went to Herod and told him while they were there, and he said, when you find out where he's at, he said, well, first he asked him, when did this star appear? 
And then he says, when you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too. But he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him because Herod was jealous that another king had been born. And so they said, well, it's been about two years since we saw the star. So they traveled for a couple of years. So Jesus would have been walking and talking, just a child, a two-year-old child, when they found him. So uh, you don't have to go home and throw your nativity sets away or take your wise men out of them. It's, it's, it's all right because they did eventually see him. But uh, just if you want to be scripturally correct, you'll realize that they were not there at the manger or at the where they were at that night as Jesus was born. But we see two things that happened here out of these two groups, how they worshipped. The shepherds worshipped by leaving their flocks. They left something behind. The wise men brought something as they came to worship. And so there are times when worship will require of us to leave some things behind, just like the shepherds did. And then other times worship involves us bringing something with us to present to the Lord, just like the wise men did. Not necessarily gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I wouldn't know what to do with frankincense or myrrh. I can figure out what to do with the gold. But, but we bring, it's just like we talk about the scripture. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We bring a praise, a sacrifice of praise of, of our hearts from our lips. And uh, we bring that physical demonstration of worship sometimes uh, into the house of the Lord. We bring something with us. But, but it's going to be either one of those things at different times of your life. You will find that uh, the Lord may require you to leave some things behind or to bring some things when you come to worship. If you were to look up the dictionary definition of worship uh, from Merriam-Webster, it would say it is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And so worship can mean that we're showing adoration, having a feeling of profound love and admiration, and to love without question or even love to excess. In other words, our love for God should be manifested in our worship of Him. You won't worship Him if you don't love Him. The first two commandments are so great. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love in those commandments. And our love for God is shown when we love one another. That's how people know we're His disciples. But people know that we love him when we keep his commandments. Uh, our worship is our life. And when we walk in his word, that's worship. You know, worship is more than just running around this room. Worship is living by the word of God, trusting in the word of God, doing what the word of God says to us or for us to do. And so, uh, but you can't worship who you don't know. Worship must first begin with knowledge or revelation of who one is worshiping. And so uh, our worship, it, it, not only does it honor God, but it is, there's nothing in this life more fulfilling than the creation worshiping the creator. You know, we talked about that a couple of weekends ago, about we were created for worship and, and designed for worship. And, and so uh, this talks about when we do worship, 
how that sometimes we will leave things behind or we will bring things with us. But how could the shepherds worship him if they didn't know where to go? And didn't know, and the angel didn't just say go and find a baby. He told them who it was, that this is the Savior, Christ the Lord. When they saw him, they were the first humans to see God manifest in the flesh. They saw this child, little baby, uh, just lying in a manger, wrapped up, swallowed up in some cloth. And, and they, this is the Savior, Christ the Lord. And, and probably just looking at that baby, you know, of course, they had an angelic announcement and a, a heavenly host singing. Now, that's that's going to stir you. That's going to give you. I'm sure they had probably heard and believed things all their life. But, friend, when you have an experience like that, you can't deny it. And they were given a deeper revelation. And anything they had learned God about God prior to that night was eclipsed by this event. And that's the thing is that tradition and past experience has to yield to biblical truth and greater revelation. When we get the, uh, and that's when we're starting our walk with God. It's just like when people have a faith in the Lord and then they are shown truth and true doctrine. You have to let go of tradition. Our tradition has to take a back seat to what the Word says. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I, I've believed like this all my life because my grandparents did it and their grandparents did it. And, and so it's just a family thing. But if it doesn't line up with the Word, if it's more tradition than anything, uh, the Word always takes precedent over tradition. We have to believe what the Word of God says, and we need revelation. You know, Paul uh, was at Mars Hill, and he was looking at all the, the idols and the, the monuments they had there to worship the different gods that they were worshiping. And then he came to the uh, inscription that said, To the unknown God. And so Paul said, I see this here. He said, you guys are so superstitious. And now you've got this marker here to the unknown God. He said, I'm going to declare this unknown God to you. And he began to preach to them Jesus Christ. Paul said, you can't worship him. You're worshiping him ignorantly. He said, but I'm going to tell you who he is. And so he, he declared who he was. He gave them a revelation so they would know who this unknown God is. To them, he was unknown, but who he actually was, that he was Jesus Christ of Nazareth that had died and, and rose again on the third day and was coming back to get us one day, that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He gave them revelation, and uh, we need that revelation so that we can really, truly worship God. Uh, true worship, real, true biblical worship will satisfy us completely. And we will not have to shop around for a substitute uh, or for man-made things that will fill this gap. The Lord uh, said so many things when he talked to the woman that he met at the well in Samaria. Number one, he, he said that you don't know who you're talking to. In other words, he said you're ignorant about who is talking to you right now. He said because if you knew who you're talking to in the gift of God, you would have asked me for living water. And he began to tell her that living water uh, will satisfy you, that you will stop uh, searching for worldly things to fix you and to help you. You will always be, if you drink this living water that I give you, well, then you'll be satisfied. 
He said, you can come to this well every day, this natural well. You're going to always be thirsting. If, if you're only trying to satisfy your inner self with things of the world, natural things, you'll always want something else. But once you get living water, it will satisfy you completely. But you don't know how to get it because you don't know who you're talking to. And then he began to tell her about true worship. He said, for the Father is looking for those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And she said, well, I know that when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And he said, I am he. And he gave her revelation. And once he gave her that revelation, you know what she did? She left her water pot. She left the well to run and tell people I've found the Christ surely is him I've found the Messiah you see sometimes you're going to get a revelation of him and it will cause you to leave some things behind so that you can worship him in spirit and in truth sometimes we'll leave some things behind there was a man by the name of uh, let's see if I can find his name here Warren Wiersbe, and he he wrote this definition of worship down. Actually, he, he quoted it from a man by the name of William Temple. He said, for worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of his will or of our will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, which is the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable of, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Friend, worship will uh, keep us in line with God's word. It will keep him in the place that he needs to be, and it keeps us in the place we need to be. Uh, When we worship him, uh, he is going to be in the right place, first and foremost. And when uh, we worship him truly, then we're in the right place, humbled under his mighty hand, so that he can exalt us in due season. And so these shepherds who are so just plain, ordinary, average people, I love it that he just came to some people that nobody would probably took two cents about what they said as anything. But he came to them, but they were summoned to a higher place of worship and adoration than they had ever been before. This was new for them. And they were so impacted by the multitude of heavenly hosts that they all agreed to say, hey, let us go. Let us leave. Let's get out of here right now and go worship. And if we want to come to Jesus and be everything that he wants us to be, then we will have to leave some things behind it's going to happen listen when when Moses went to to tell Pharaoh let my people go he said let my people go so we can go out three days journey and sacrifice and worship the Lord he said but we can't worship him here we're not going to worship him in the middle of all your idols we're not going to worship him in the middle of all this uh, stuff that's going on let us get out of here three days Three days journey, and we'll do. Maybe that's something he picked up from from Abraham, where God told Abraham to take Isaac a three day journey to the mountain. I don't know, but he, for some reason he said we need to go three days away from here. 
we need to get out of here so we can sacrifice and really worship the Lord. And, of course, Pharaoh said, I will not let you go. And guess what? They did not sacrifice or worship after that. They, they continued this uh, tug of war until God finally ended it, as we know the story. But the, the thing is, is that even in that time, uh, God was showing that, look, you're going to come out of some things. And God did bring them out. And when he took them out of Egypt, then he began to tell them, be holy because I am holy. I have delivered you from Egypt so that you can now be a different person. But you're going to have to leave Egypt and all those ways behind and follow me and follow my word so that you can be the people that I have called you to be. This principle of leaving things behind, uh, Abraham, the father of faith, if he's the father of faith, and the scripture says in one place that he's the father of us all. If that's true, then I should look and see uh, what father did. And when God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a mighty nation. But here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to leave your homeland and go to the place that I tell you of. You can't stay here. You're going to have to go somewhere else so that I can fulfill the call that is on your life. And so sometimes God will call us to leave things and maybe even people behind as a form of worship so we can show our love and devotion to him. In, the, uh, in Exodus 20 and 3, one of the Ten Commandments tells us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Lord wants to get you away from things that maybe have become a God in your life or an idol in your life. It's one of those weights that Paul talked about or that the writer in Hebrews said to, to lay aside. Just lay aside that weight. Lay aside that sin so you can run the race. You, you'll never run the race like you need to holding on to these things. You're going to have to let some things go. And so God should always be first in our lives. Uh, you know, we can make gods out of anything. It can be your job. It can be your education. It can be uh, success. It can be money. It can be relationship. Anything else can take the place of God if we're not careful. And so we have to be ready and willing to leave something behind uh, if we are uh, going to be what God called us to be. You can't stay in Egypt and worship the Lord. And what I mean by that is you can't stay a slave to Egypt. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I understand that. But, but God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has set us free uh, from the yoke of this world, and, and we have to be willing to walk away. He, what's the first words he said to his disciples as he, he walked into their life? He walked into these fishermen's life and said, follow me. Well, you can't follow him dragging a net. Because you just picture, get a picture in your mind of Peter walking down the street, dragging that. It's catching on everything. It's, 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 it's grabbing stuff. It's holding stuff. Peter, you'll have to let that go. Because that life will only bring clutter and mess and, and stuff that it'll slow you down. You've got to leave. So it said immediately they just left their nets. And they began to follow him. They walked away from the family business. They walked away from their home to follow him. Peter was married. I don't even know what, when he had time to stop by the house and say, Hey, darling, uh, I won't be home for supper. But, uh, but you know, Jesus, maybe he sent a messenger uh, later and said, Go tell my wife that I'm following the Lord. And, you know, I don't know how that meeting all came to pass, but the two words that Jesus said was, Follow me. And, and you can't follow him when you're worried about everything else. There were certain 
people that he would say, follow me. And they said, well, let me go bury my dead and let me go do this and do this and take care of this. And he's like, do what you're going to do. I'm just putting the call out there. I'm, I'm putting the call out. And uh, if you're going to follow me, you'll have to leave some things behind. And so I, I want to, uh, even uh, Peter said this, and you read it in Mark 10, where he, he looked at the Lord and he said, we have left all and followed thee. And the Lord began to tell them how, uh, that if you have done that, this is how you will be rewarded. Uh, you're going to have what you need from God when you are able and willing to leave some things behind. In Matthew 19, we read a story about a, a rich young ruler who wanted to know. Uh, he, well, first, he comes to Jesus and he says, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you calling me good? There's one good, and that's God. Now, I've heard it preached a lot of ways, and uh, they're, they're like, some people say, well, the man understood who Jesus was, but I don't think he did. I don't think he really knew who he was. He just had heard about him, knew that he was a teacher, but he didn't have a revelation of who this was actually. There's no way that he actually knew who this man was, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, God manifest in the flesh. He, he, and so the Lord, the Lord looks at him and says, why are you calling me good? I think he's asking him, do you have, the, do you have that revelation? Do you know? Because there ain't one, but one good, and that's God. So are you calling me God? I don't think you are because he had other gods that he couldn't let go of. Because when the Lord said, you've done all these things, you've kept these commandments, but here's what you lack. Sell everything you've got, distribute it to the poor, take up the cross and follow me. The man went away sad because he had great possessions. There were some things he could not leave behind. He had other gods before him. Yes, he was keeping the word, but he had other gods before him. There's a lot of people that go to church, but they have other gods before them. If we're going to, see, I'm trying to help you here. There's some things in our worship that we've got to realize that we're going to have to leave some things behind. Well, well, the Lord loves me just like I am. Sure, he does, but he leaves you, loves you too much to leave you that way. There's going to be a change in your life. You're going to uh, change locations. You're going to change maybe vocations. Uh, you, there's a lot of things that you, you'll change in your life to be what God wants you to be and to follow him to the places that he wants you to go. And so this rich young man, he could not do it. He did not. But I'm convinced that if he had had that full revelation, if he had gotten that revelation like that woman at the well did, if he'd gotten that revelation like Peter and, and Philip and all those had gotten at the beginning, you know, when they first uh, found the Lord, they, they come running, telling everybody, say, hey, we found the Messiah. We found him. And uh, he had not told them anything really yet. But they said, this is him. This is him. This is the one the prophets wrote about. This is him. And they, they just believed and had faith. But this young man, he just wanted to go to heaven. But he wanted to enjoy all of his stuff in his ways while he was here. And uh, So, uh, listen, there were some things this man could not leave behind. Uh, I will never have anything so important in my life that I can't leave it behind. Now, on the flip side of that, we have the wise men. And, yes, they did leave their country to come 
to find this king, but they brought things with them. The shepherds, they were poor, just regular people. They had nothing to bring with them, but they did have things they could leave behind. And the shepherds, as, as did many of the Jews during that lifetime, realized the path that they had been on was not satisfying them. It was not leading them to a fulfillment in their relationship with God. But on that night, when they got a revelation, everything changed. And Jesus was born. The shepherds were willing to leave everything behind just to go and worship him. But how can uh, I follow Jesus if I won't leave or be able to lay down the life that I used to have? How can I follow him if I won't drop my nets? How can I follow him if, if I'm not willing to turn my back and walk away from things that I know are unlike him? We can't stay the same. There's going to be a change in your life when you serve the Lord. And so these, these Jewish people, they had been instructed by the law, which is the Old Testament to us, to love and worship God. The, the, in the book of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, we get the, the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one. And you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your might. That's the commandment. That's it right there. That's what they were commanded to do. And the Jews had been tempted on many occasions to worship idols. When they went into the promised land and began to uh, mingle with the people of that land, they, they would worship idols, sin against God. And the scripture would tell us where they would turn their back on God and leave him behind. But then God would extend his mercy, show them grace and, and love, and, and call them back to himself. And, but at that point, they were, they were too poor to bring anything. Instead, they were asked to leave some things behind. You know, we think, well, I don't really have anything to bring the Lord. Some of the greatest form of worship is what you are willing to leave for Him. There's no greater honor to the sacrifice He made on the cross than when you repent of your sins and start following Him. When you take up the cross and begin to walk after Him daily, you may not have... All, all these things that you think, I've got all these gifts and callings and talents and things to bring him, but you got yourself. And he wants you uh, more than anything else. He wants you more than any talent you have or anything. He just wants you. And so sometimes that, that greatest thing that we can give is just to leave our old life because that's an act of worship. That's, that's what we do. Uh, we want to worship him in spirit and truth, and we have to leave some things behind so that we can actually worship him. And so uh, you think, man, how would it be? I, I know we probably think, man, that would have been cool. Uh, how would it be to have that angelic visitation, be the first ones to ever see God manifest in the flesh and then have nothing to bring? When you got there, oh, this is the Savior, and wow, I ain't got anything. I don't have anything, but you brought yourself, and you worshiped. And you know what they did? They started telling people. Sometimes, you know, it's just bring yourself, see the Lord for yourself, and then start telling people about the Lord that you have seen, the Lord that you have experienced, uh, what God has done in your life. You, you don't have to give a, a detailed report of what you brought to God. You brought yourself to an altar. You found a place of repentance. You, you went to the water and was buried in his name. God filled you with his spirit. And now tell somebody that I have seen 
the Lord. And so the shepherds show us the importance of presenting our own self as gifts of worship to the king of kings. Now again, in contrast, we have the wise men who were coming from the east. And uh, they, they, they were not coming empty-handed. But they, they were coming, uh, uh, they, want, they wanted to come with gifts. They wanted to bring uh, something that they could honor this king with. They, if they were kingly people, sometimes they, when you study about it, they'll say they, they were possibly kings among them in that procession of wise men. And so they knew, you know, whenever you see royalty, you bring something with you. You bring a gift. And so um, the gifts they brought tell us a lot about the Savior himself and, and the things of his life. But when we come to worship, we ought to bring gifts that tell Jesus we recognize who he is and our desire to give him worship that he is worthy of. We do have something to bring even if we just bring ourself. But we do have uh, th- that you can just pour out of your heart. Uh, you can lift up holy hands. You can uh, praise him according to scripture, and you can honor him by living a life worthy of the sacrifice he made. And friend, let me tell you, those gifts are the things that God desires. The Lord desires people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so when we can do that, we're bringing something to the Lord. Now, the only, uh, well, you know, just think of it like this. The Bible says that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, for that is our reasonable service. And sometimes we bring things to God no matter how important they are to us. You know, Abraham actually, in one offering, he was doing two things. God called him and said, I want you to take Isaac, your son, and sacrifice him on a mountain that I'll tell you about. And so he went three days' journey to a mountain, him, his son, Isaac, and then some servants. And he told the servants, you stay here, but Isaac and I, the child and I, we're going to go up to the mountain and we're going to worship. Now, Abraham was the only one who knew what was about to happen. But he realized that obeying God and sacrifice is worship. And he went and he took Isaac and he, uh, of course, Isaac said, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? He said, Son, God will provide that lamb. And so uh, he went up to worship. He took Isaac, bound him up, put him on the altar. And when he drew back the knife, the angel of the Lord stopped him. He said, Now I know you fear the Lord. Because you would not withhold your only son from me. Now, Isaac was the promise. He was the child of Abraham's old age. He was the miracle that he had been that God had given him that Abraham had waited on years and years because God had told him you're going to be uh, your seed will be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea. You're going to be a, a father of many nations, and and that promise was in Isaac. Let me tell you something, that not even the gifting that God gives you is more important than your worship. Don't try to hold on to something. If God tells you, if he called you to evangelize and then one day he called you not to, 
oh, but this is the way I make my living. This is why. Listen, our calling, even the things that God gives us as a promise, are not more important than our willingness to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We cannot think more of the gift than we do the giver of the gift. And so Abraham knew that you told me he's, a, he's the promise. Uh, you told me that he's going to be you know, the key. And, and now you're asking me to sacrifice him. He didn't argue. He just took him. But the writer of, of Hebrews gives us a little insight to that. He said he went ahead and took him because he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. Because he had a revelation. You know why Abraham could really worship God and say, we're going to go up and worship and come back again? Because he knew that God, even at that point, was the resurrection and the life. And he said, if God kills him, God can bring him back to life. And so whatever happens, we're coming back down the mountain. Whatever happens up there in worship, I'll still be coming. I'm coming back one day uh, because God's able to do it. So he had no fear of just laying his son on the altar because he realized who he was sacrificing him to. Imagine in your natural mind, what will my wife think if she knew that I was fixing to sacrifice Isaac? But he just kept it to himself, and he knew that this is a great gift, but even Isaac is not as great as God. You know, the woman at the well, she asked Jesus, she said, Are you greater than Jacob, our father, that gave us this well? You know, they, they, they put so much faith in the patriarchs, and, and, and of course they were worthy of honor, sure. But nobody is greater than the Lord, and no calling is greater than God. And, and there's nothing, you don't hang on to something to your detriment if it's killing your worship. It's, you, you have to let it go. And so uh, I want to be able to, and so Abraham was like, all right, I, I am leaving home to go somewhere to worship, but I am also bringing this very valuable promise of God and putting it on the altar of sacrifice. And if God wants to take it, he can, because I know that he can bring it back to life. And that was how Abraham worshipped God. Now, back to these wise men bringing things. Matthew's the only one who mentions them. They're not listed in, in Luke. They're not listed in Mark or John, any of those things. Uh, Luke wrote about the scenes around his birth. But uh, Matthew talks about um, what happened two years later when the wise men showed up. It doesn't say how many again, how many showed up. It just says there were three gifts. And again, that's where a lot of the tradition comes from, that there were three wise men because they had three gifts. But they could have been, like I say, we don't know the abundance. We don't know if it was. Some people actually say there were 12 wise men. I was studying a little bit about it this morning and looking over at some places to say there were 12. Maybe they were. I don't know. Maybe there were two. I just know there were more than one because it said men. So it was at least two. Could have been 12. Could have been 40. We weren't there. I don't know who was all in that caravan. It doesn't matter. The wise men are not the important part of it. The Lord is the important part of it. And so uh, when we uh, see this, um, uh, again, you see these manger scenes. I'm not going to start going up to people's live nativities and going, get them wise men out of here. You know, don't, don't be 
stopping at your grandma's house and pulling wise men out of the nativity and stuff like that. Just, just let it sit. It's, you realize uh, that it's tradition, and, and that's okay. Just leave, leave it as, but, uh, but very few people even realize that or even actually know what the Scripture says about this event because they just go by. Well, I know, what, I know about the birth of Jesus. They learned it from Christmas. That's where most people in the world learn that Jesus was ever born. And so uh, when you read about it, you'll find out some things. And you'll find out how people worshipped. Some people didn't have anything, so they just left all they had to come worship. Some people had great gifts, and they came. And it took them a while to get there. Hey, if you got faith, just keep walking. It might take you a little while to get to where you actually see him and have that revelation, but just keep walking. Keep riding. You know, two years, that's a long journey. It took them two years to get there, but they kept coming. It was hot. Maybe it was rainy. Maybe it snowed. Maybe they were hungry. I'm sure they were tired. Maybe they had problem with thieves along the way. All kind of situations could arose, but they kept coming till they got there because no matter what happened in the day, Every time it got dark, they could see that star. You'll always be able to see a way when you follow the Lord and you worship him. And so uh, for two years they travel, they do this thing, they come, and they come to the house, it says now, where uh, the child was at, and they begin to fall down and worship him. Jesus, Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus were not still living in a stable. They did not stay they didn't rent the stable out and stay there. They're now in a house. As it said, they came into the house, saw him with Mary, fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, there's some correlation to some things in God's life or Jesus' life that these gifts correspond to. But the wise men's worship and adoration of him were in large part represented by these gifts. And so... Uh, it said that the gold would represent his royalty. He's king of the Jews. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And so the wise men may have recognized that uh, because they completely bypassed Herod. They didn't say they brought him any gifts uh, at all. They brought him nothing, but they gave their complete allegiance to Jesus. They brought him frankincense, which is an aromatic incense, and this may have represented his divinity because he truly was God in the flesh and thereby made him qualified to offer himself as a sacrifice. And then there was myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume used during the embalming process. And this may have represented in a prophetic manner the future death and burial of Jesus. Uh, myrrh may have represented his suffering and humanity because we know that at the end of his life, Jesus said, to this end was I born and so the wise men worshiped him based on their god-given revelation of him they worshiped the one who was king uh, you know how did they find out about him how did they know they were reading uh, prophetic papers and different things uh, uh, to study and to uh, you know looking at the stars and looking at the signs and when these signs begin to fall into place they followed the star and so they worshiped the one who was king. He was our priest. He is the one who would sacrifice himself for our redemption. And so uh, 
we may not bring a literal gift every time we come in and set it on the altar. We bring our tithe and we bring our offerings, of course. But we can bring him the rest of our life. Make him the king of our life, the one true king of our life. Bring him your desires. The Bible says cast your care upon him uh, because he cares for you. That's just letting you, him know that you trust him with your life. That we, again, present our bodies a living sacrifice. We commit the keeping of our soul unto him as unto a faithful creator. We trust him in everything. We don't lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge him. So we can bring him our love, our love for him, our love for ourselves, our love for others. Bring him your faith, your lives, your families, your finances. You can bring him your faith in the future. You can bring him uh, your faith in heaven itself, whatever it is. But you just bring that when you come in. And so when we come to Jesus, we leave sin and worldliness behind. You can't serve two masters. And you can't walk on two roads. You can't sit at two tables. You can't drink from two cups. It's listed in Scripture over and over again. We must leave sin and worldliness behind. We say goodbye to sinful habits and addictions. And this shows us and Jesus that we love him and that we desire to please him. That's worship when you live your life for him. So we're worshiping with the shepherds when we leave our old life behind and submit to his will for our lives. But we worship with the wise men when we bring him the gifts of faith and obedience to his word, showing that we trust him and submit our lives to him. And all of our desires, hopes, and dreams are now in his hand. In him we live, move, and have our being. So not just this one time of year should we be thinking about that, but it should be every day of the year for however many years we may have that we worship with shepherds, or we worship with wise men, most times it's both. We're constantly examining ourselves to lay, lay behind, lay down things so that we can press forward. Even Paul said that in Philippians, that you could stand with me this morning. He said, there's one thing that I do. I forget those things that are behind, and I press toward the mark of the high calling. He said, I, I, I know that I've got to leave some things behind if I'm going to ever make it forward I can't go forward always looking back I can't go forward holding on to things of the past I've got to leave some things behind to show the Lord that he's the most important thing of all I, I don't want to ever let anything take the place of him in my life I can't imagine what it was like to, to have been those shepherds seen that baby I, Simeon that saw him in the, in the temple and, and even those wise men that saw him as a child or those doctors and lawyers that talked with him when he was 12 or the 12 that walked with him while he was feeding multitudes and raising the dead but one day we're going to see him and when we see him I sure want to hear him say well done good and faithful servant well done. You brought the things you need to bring and you left the things you need to leave. Well done. That's what I want to hear him say. Amen. Well, let's lift our hands and worship him one time together before we close. Uh, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. God, we praise you this morning. We worship you today. Lord, let us lay aside the weight and sin. 
And Lord, let us bring words and praise out of our hearts across our lips. And let us worship you in this house today in spirit and truth. We're so glad you came. We're thankful, so thankful for the sacrifice you made, that you gave your life on Calvary. And we love you today. We praise you today. Blessed be your name forever, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap and a big shout this morning. Hallelujah. Thankful that we can worship the Lord today in spirit and in truth. God bless you. Thank you for being in Sunday school this morning. Find a place to pray before the next service. Looking forward to God doing some great things. God bless you.